The following is a sermon from Pastor Timothy Borman and Sure Foundation, a church located in Woodside, Queens, New York, the world's most diverse community. For more information and for more audio content, go to sure-foundation.org. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Today is a little mini Easter Sunday. It is an Easter Sunday because we rise with Him. This is what we would call the, penin, uh, the, pen, the, the penultimate uh, lesson from Genesis 12 to 25. We're almost there. We've almost made it. And we've seen Abraham and Sarah go through so many trials and, and tribulations and, and seen blessings come true and, and promises fulfilled. And now their marriage comes to an end. A gripping end. I want to read to you from Genesis chapter 23. This is our lesson for the sermon this morning. Sarah lived to be 127 years old. She died at Kiriath Arbor, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went to mourn for Sarah and to weep over her. Then Abraham rose from beside his dead wife and spoke to the Hittites. He said, I am a foreigner and a stranger among you. Sell me some property for a burial site so I can bury my dead. The Hittites replied to Abraham, Sir, listen to us. You are a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will refuse you his tomb for burying your dead. Then Abraham rose and bowed down before the people of the land, the Hittites. He said to them, if you are willing to let me bury my dead, then listen to me and intercede with Ephron, son of Zohar, on my behalf. So he will sell me the cave of Machpelah, which belongs to him and is at the end of his field. Ask him to sell it to me for the full price as a burial site among you. Ephron the Hittite was sitting among his people, and he replied to Abraham in the hearing of all the Hittites who had come to the city gate. No, my lord, he said, listen to me, I give you the field, and I give you the cave that is in it. I give it to you in the presence of my people. Bear your dead. Again, Abraham bowed down before the people of the land, and he said to Ephron in their hearing, Listen to me, if you will. I will pay the price of the field. Accept it from me so I can bury my dead there. Ephron answered Abraham, Listen to me, my lord. The land is worth 400 shekels of silver. Well, what is that between me and you? You and me, bury your dead. Abraham agreed to Ephron's terms and weighed out for him the price he had named in the hearing of the Hittites, 400 shekels of silver, according to the weight among the merchants. So Ephron's field in Machpelah near Mamre, both the field and the cave in it, and all the trees within the borders of the field was deeded to Abraham as his property in the presence of all the Hittites who had come to the gate of the city. Afterward, Abraham buried his wife Sarah in the cave in the field of Machpelah near Mamre, which is at Hebron, in the land of Canaan. 
So the field and the cave in it were deeded to Abraham by the Hittites as a burial site. This is the word of the Lord. Simply put, what this is, is a biblical obituary. It's a death notice. And it starts off as a very normal death notice. We're told who died, Sarah, Abraham's beloved wife. We're told how old she was, 127 years old. We're even told where she died. And, and normally, normally this is where a, a, a quite regular biblical obituary ends. He died. He was disowned. And maybe they add on just who it was who his son was. That's a normal death notice, a normal obituary. But this one continues on. And there's really, there's really two significant details that, that jump out in this little biblical obituary. We're told, first of all, that Abraham did two things at the death of his wife. And they're both significant. The first thing that we learn is that Abraham wasn't there when she died. Which is a tragedy all in and of itself. Like they didn't get after everything that they suffered, after everything that they had gone through. Abraham, for whatever reason, wasn't there. They didn't get that, that magical, almost Disney ending where this couple of, of 50 long years was, was able to hold hands and, and the one was able to usher the other into eternal life. Instead, Abraham doesn't get that kind of closure. Someone must have came up to him and gave him the awful news, Sarah has died. And so what the biblical account says is that he had to go to her. He went to mourn for her. And then, and then we're told a second thing. Which is unique all in and of itself because we're never told this up until now. We're never told how people felt about the death of their loved one. But here we're told he wept over her. Like, like he, he goes up to the dead body of his wife. That's, that's what we're supposed to picture. He goes up to the dead body of his wife. He picks her up in her arms and he loses it. He can't keep it together. We can, we can almost see the tears streaming down his face and we can hear his cries all the way down to now because the Holy Spirit tells us that's what he did. He goes to her and he wept. For all that he had lost, for all that they experienced, for all that they would no longer experience because she was gone. And he lost it. We never get obituaries like that in the Bible, not quite like that, where, where the husband is not there and then he goes there and he loses it. And I think the Spirit is giving that to us for a reason. 
We need to see the tears and hear the cries, especially if you're grieving. Because the Holy Spirit here is really opening up a new possibility for you. That it is okay. It is okay for you to lose it. And to weep and to mourn and to grieve. You know, some people, they get really critical of Abraham. Look at Abraham. He's, he's grieving just like the rest of the world. But I don't read it that way. Do you? We read a list of names earlier. We read a list of names. And I was there with some of you as you lost or were losing loved ones over the years. I recognize some of the names. You did too. Moms. Brothers. Dear friends. Gone. And the Spirit says, it's okay to grieve that. It's okay to never move on because you never really do move on. You just get up like Abraham did. We're taught that we can grieve and that we can lament because the world is a broken place and death is the ultimate proof of it. That sin has wrecked everything. It's okay to grieve. It's okay to lose it. It's okay to take your wife in your arms who is now gone and to cry. That's what Abraham did. There's wisdom here for us. There's a second kind of wisdom here in the tears as well. For those of us who are living. Solomon said this. It's an interesting comment from the book of Ecclesiastes. He said, it is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For death is the destiny of everyone. The living should take this to heart. The truth of the matter is this. This is how every single marriage ends. Till death do us part. I knew that when I married a man. I knew it to the depths of my heart that one of us would outlive the other. Every single marriage, unless you get that romantic thing, right? But every single marriage ends like this. With one grieving the loss of another. And there's, there's wisdom in that. To know that and to recognize that. One writer almost put it, put it poetically. Alex Tan, he said, Perhaps our eyes need to be washed by our tears once in a while so that we can see life with a clear view again. Ask the grieving person, do you miss them? Do you miss even the things that you couldn't stand about them? And you know what they'll say with tears in their eyes? Yes. I think we need to remember that even in our conflicts, even in our, maybe especially in our conflicts, the very people that we can't stand are the same people that we can't stand to be without. It's wisdom. It's wisdom that, that calls us to hug our spouses a little bit tighter because we have them right now. It's wisdom that, that causes us and invites us to hug our kids a little bit tighter right now because we have them right now. One day we won't. 
And the tears, they push in our heart this wisdom that death comes to us all. And to live every single moment to the fullest. It's the first thing that we notice about this obituary that we're invited to see tears, but it's not the only strange thing about this obituary. In fact, this obituary, this biblical notice of death gets even stranger. If you really think about it, it gets really strange because the vast majority of the obituary has to do with a real estate, a real estate transaction. Like we get, we get all of these details and every single word of this little dialogue, like Abraham goes to the Hittites and he's like, let me buy a plot. Let me buy a burial plot. And they're like, Abraham, okay, we're, no, you, you can't buy a plot, but we'll just give it to you and then we can take it back whenever we want. And Abraham's not settled with this. So he's, he goes to the Hittites again and he says, let me buy a plot. I know which one I want. It's not going to disturb you at all. I just want a little cave, the one at Mac. Hela and and Ephron speaks up and he says, "I'll give it to you, but I'll take it back whenever I want." And Abram's still not satisfied with this offer, so he says, "Lo, let me buy it." And then Ephron says, "Okay, you can buy it for this incredible price of four hundred shekels." It's almost like it's almost like Ephron was trying to sell a pencil for twenty five dollars. Or he's trying to sell a hot dog for $75. Like he is jacking up the price in Abraham's need. Abraham says, done. I will buy it for way, way, way too much money. That's what it says. And there's a part of us, I think, as we read the story, like, why? Why do we need to, to watch him sign a contract and then close the deal and then we learn exactly where this parcel, this burial plot is going to be? But I think we have to think about that. I think we have to go into that. Think about this. Your burial plot of your family or where you're planning to be buried one day says a lot about who you are. It really does. I asked around this last week, where do you plan to be buried? I did. There's two factors in people's decisions. One was this, where's your family buried? We, for whatever reason, we want to be near our family when we're dead. Like we want to have this, this ideal thing where grandma and grandpa and mom and dad, and we're just all kind of lining up in this one burial plot. We want that. The second thing is people want to be able to visit. They want to be able to visit the burial plot. Isn't that true? And sometimes there's a little bit of a tension there. So I asked one person, I actually was my wife, and I said, where are you going to bury me? She was like, what I would want to do is I would want to bury you close to wherever I'm living. That makes sense. So think about that in Abraham's case. It would have been so easy for him to say, I'm going to bury Sarah with the rest of my family back where I came from. But he doesn't. He wants to be able to visit her and he knows where his future lies. 
So he buys a plot in Canaan. And that's, that is just huge. He, look at, think about what he's believing. He's believing that one day he and his wife Sarah will rise to inherit the promised land. He is believing, in other words, that God's best promises, as good as they were during his life, as good as they were during Sarah's life, he is believing that God's best promises are post-mortem. He is believing that God is not done blessing His wife and blessing Him, even though she's dead. And that right there is the greatest hope in the world. That God's best promises and His best work are done after your death. It's important for us to recognize that, that Sarah's obituary gives to us real hope, real hope that we have in Jesus. I mean, this story anchors us like none other in the hope of eternal life. Sometimes I think our hopes are too small. It's almost as if we live in, in what we call the fifth petition of the Lord's Prayer, like, all we need, God, is daily bread. But then we forget to go on and think that we pray, deliver us from evil. And when we say that, we hope our hopes are too small if we just think what, God, what we're really asking God to do when we say deliver us from evil is that we wouldn't get mugged on the train. But we're asking so much more than that, aren't we? We're actually asking God to deliver us right out of this evil world and to have a blessed death. We're asking God to plant us deeply in the hope of eternal life to deliver us out of this evil age and into the next where there will be a new heaven and a new earth. We are asking God to fulfill His best promises post-mortem. And we're dropping our anchor in that. That God's best promises isn't that, that we'd have enough to eat now, but that we would live forever with Him. That's huge. Now, this is an important truth. And I want us to drop our anchors in it. First of all, again, we're going to do this for those who, who are grieving, who have lost. Think about all the people that we named today. We believe, I'm going to confess the truth. We believe with all our hearts and for good reason because Jesus has risen that he will not leave any of those who is redeemed with his own blood and whom he loved with his own life. We believe that he will leave not a single one of them in the ground. And that one day, He will raise them up again. Saints, triumphant. And that changes our grieving, doesn't it? So our grieving is not unbounded, but it is bounded only by time. And the promise, they will rise again. 
But this promise, this anchoring in eternal life has another impact for those who are living. It helps us with our priorities, if I could put it to you bluntly. And you might want to put yourself, put to yourself this question in anything that you're doing. Does what I'm doing and the way that I'm investing have any value post-mortem? Because if it doesn't, then it doesn't have any eternal value. I mean, think, think about how Abraham, he's like, I, I don't even care if I'm overpaying for this. What I need to do is invest post-mortem in God's promises in the land that will one day be delivered. And that, that, that matters in how we raise our kids, for example. Let me ask you just a couple clarifying. This is very clarifying, by the way. Does it matter if your kid is good at soccer? No. Does it matter if your kid has an incredible GPA? Not really. Because it doesn't matter post-mortem. Does it matter if your kid knows Jesus? It's the only thing that matters. Or, or think about for yourself, maybe, maybe you don't have kids, think about the way that, that you use your time and your talents and you invest in your careers. Does it matter post-mortem? Because if it doesn't, why are you pouring yourself into it so much? The only thing that matters at a time like this is Jesus. Because He gives to us so fully and freely eternal life. He really has conquered the grave. I told you before that this is nothing less and nothing more than an obituary. And it's a strange one. But I think it's strange on purpose. It opens up to us new possibilities for mourning, but also wisdom, like we talked about, to really enjoy those moments that we have with family and friends. It also opens up to us new evaluative tools for where to invest our time and our money and ultimately to anchor ourselves in the promise. 